Amen. We thank the Lord, amen, for this opportunity to be with you. Amen. We give honor, amen, to our pastor, Dr. Melvin Reddy. Put your hands together for our pastor. Amen. And for the co-pastor, amen, his wife, amen, Dr. Excuse me, Lisa Reddy, Pastor Lisa Reddy. Amen. 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 We're so grateful for them, amen, for their administration, amen, and for this opportunity, amen, to stand before you and to bring the word of God. Amen. God is a good God. Amen. Worthy to be praised. Amen. As I was seeking the Lord, amen, asking him what he wanted me to share with you all today, man, I was reading the story of David and Goliath, and my daughter came into my office, as she often does, and she's like, Daddy, what are you going to preach about? And I said, I'm reading about David and Goliath. And she said, okay, and she left the room, and she came back later, because that's the way Hannah is. She's always going to come back. Amen. So she came back later, and she said, well, what are you going to say about David and Goliath? And I'm trying to be patient, because I really wanted to leave the room so I can get back to studying. But I'm like, well, I'm going to talk about some of the words that David spoke. And she said, okay, and she left again, and then you know what happened, right? She came back, and she said, well, you need a title. What's, what's going to be the title for your message? And I'm like, well, I haven't decided yet, baby. And she said, I know. You need to call it David's Big Words. And so in honor of my eight-year-old daughter, Hannah, we're going to talk about David's Big Words today. All right. So thank the Lord for the young people. Out of the mouths of babes, the story, amen, of David and Goliath. This is a story that most of us know well, amen. If you've only heard a few Bible stories in your day, David and Goliath might be one of the stories that you've actually heard. The story is the story of the Philistine army set in array against the army of Israel near the valley of Elah. A Philistine champion, Goliath, who stands about nine feet, nine inches tall and weighs at least 600 pounds, steps out from his fellow soldiers and challenges the Israeli army for 40 days with taunts, challenging them to send out a champion to face him in a one-on-one -on -one battle that will determine which nation will serve the other. And it is against this backdrop that young David appears. But who is David? Well, back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, King Saul is troubled and probably having a hard time sleeping. You see, an evil spirit is bothering him, and he can't get any peace. His servant suggests to Saul, let us go find you a musician who, whenever this evil spirit comes on you, in the future, this person can play some nice, soothing music, and you, our king, will feel better. Well, that's when one of the younger servants, probably about David's age, says what we see in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 18. The Word of God says this, One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. So now we know. 
that David speaks well and the Lord is with him. So as the story unfolds in chapter 16, when the evil spirit entered Saul, David would take his harp and he would play. Then the evil spirit would go out of Saul and Saul would feel relief. He would feel better again. But it's not David's heart playing that I want to focus on today. It's what the young servant said about David, that he speaks well and, most importantly, that the Lord is with him. Many years later, long after David was dead, it is recorded in the New Testament this way in reference to David. Acts 13 Verse 22 says, after Saul had ruled 40 years, God removed him from office and put King David in his place with this commendation. I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him. A man who will do what I tell him. Wouldn't it be great if after our journey on this earth, God could say about us, our heart beat to his heart. That we lived a life in perfect harmony with the heart of God. And that we were obedient to his word. And that when the call is made, we stand and say, here my Lord, send me. Wouldn't that be great if that was the commendation that God would have about each and every one of us? This is what David did in 1 Samuel 17. You see, David was sent by his father to take a meal to his three oldest brothers who were fighting in Saul's army, and he wanted them to check on their well-being. Upon arrival at the camp, David heard Goliath challenging God's army. And that's when this well-spoken young lad spoke up. Verse 26 says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Wow. David is uh, in the Valley of Ur talking some serious smack. No wonder it says David is speaking some big words. Two things I want to point out about David's words. First, he says Goliath is, what Goliath is doing has disgraced Israel. David's words were, it's put a reproach. Another Bible interpretation calls it a disgrace. Basically, he says, telling the army of God, you ought to be embarrassed to allow Goliath to talk to you this way. That's basically what David is saying to them. Second, he says, Goliath is not taunting you not you guys, he's actually taunting what you stand for. 
David made the point when he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should taunt the armies of the living God? He didn't say that should be taunting you, but he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that taunt the armies of the living God? You are the army of the living God. David is trying to help him understand this is not just a personal verbal assault against you. No, it's more than that. You see, Goliath is attacking the thing that you hold most dear. The thing that you say defines you. The God that you say is all-powerful. So I want to ask you, all of you, my audience today, what are the implications for the church today of David's words? In other words, if we put the modern church in the place of ancient Israel in this scenario, what is God trying to tell us? The boldness of the devil in this, our century, in our lives, it reminds me of the audacity of Goliath. There was a time when sin was done in secret, when lies were disprovable by videotape, when love was not a sign of weakness. But now, our modern-day Goliath, the enemy of God, Satan, Lucifer, that antichrist, mocks us openly. In the true spirit of Goliath, the devil says violence is good, hate is appropriate, and I dare you to challenge me. If you do, I will tell everyone that your calls for love, your calls for peace and harmony are simply political correctness. And those calls are to be ignored in favor of the chaos that I, the devil, want to rain down on God's creation. So the first thing I believe that God is trying to tell us today, just as David said to the Israeli army, is it's a disgrace to the church to have this going on in our midst. To have the enemy of God openly mocking God's ways, mocking God's people, mocking his army. It's a disgrace to the church for us to allow Goliath to walk up and down the valley of our lives and no one put him in check. We have the power to do something and for 40 days, we haven't done anything. The second implication, I believe, for the modern church is what David says this. He says, it's not about us. Not us as a people, nor us as a nation, but it's about what we represent. So you may or may not take the unholy actions of the enemy personally, but David implies if you aren't embarrassed for yourself, Think about who you represent. You are the armies of the living God. Now, when we are not under threat, some of us Christians can talk big talk about how great thou art, about how we've never seen the righteous forsaken, about how Jesus answers everything. But when we see the devil creating a world that is contrary to the word of God, do we take action? 
do we take a stand? Do we respond to Goliath's challenge? Or are we like Eliab? Eliab, he's one of the brothers of David. One of those brothers that David went to check on. And after David spoke the words that he spoke, Eliab was not happy with David's words. In verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Now, let's be clear. Eliab and all the other soldiers had plenty of time, 40 days, to respond to Goliath's challenge. But instead, verse 24 says, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, meaning when they saw Goliath, fled from him and were sore afraid. So when Goliath is talking trash, who's our sworn enemy from the Philistines, you don't have anything to say. And now when David speaks up and simply tells the truth, Eliab attacks David. Oh, you don't hear me. The enemy's talking trash and everybody's quiet. Nobody got nothing to say. David shows up and tells the truth about what's really happening. And Eliab attacks David, not Goliath. He attacks the one who spoke up and said things as they really are, spoke the truth about what's really taking place. Is the modern church of our day, instead of addressing the devil that is causing confusion, chaos, violence, and division, instead attacking the messenger? Oh, I don't hear nothing. Is my mic not working? Hello, somebody. How does David respond to his brother when Eliab attacks him? David says to his brother, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Is there not a cause? What have I done? Is there not a cause? David's answer to his jealous, overbearing brother is really a, a very gentle answer. David doesn't cease to make inquiries to the soldiers representing the army of Israel, nor does he refrain from expressing his astonishment at the public insult to our God of Israel being allowed to continue for so many days. The Hebrew word here, when he says, is there a cause, the Hebrew word can be rendered word, so that you could say, David said, is it not a word? Or maybe he said, it's only a word. He might have said to his brother, I'm, I'm just speaking a word. Not like Goliath, who's actually insulting the God who we have pledged our allegiance to for many generations, the God of Abraham. I'm only speaking 
a word. In a way, David was being humble, but at the same time being somewhat deprecating to his older brother's anger, saying, what have I done? All I've spoken is a mere word. I was only speaking with holy anger about the challenge of this Philistine, nothing more. I've only spoken a word. It seems unnatural for you to be so upset about me simply speaking a word. I've only spoken a word. I can hear in my mind's eye David saying, you seem bitterly displeased with my zeal, brother, but, but surely there's a, a good cause for my passionate emotion here, such an insult to our God. I can hear David saying, there's good reason for my passion. It's not about me. Insult me all you want, but it's about my God. Insult me, but don't insult my God's army. This is not a case of nothing to see here. Move right along. This is a word. This is a cause. One of the Hebrew interpretations uses the word matter. This is a matter. This is a thing. This is something real. Is there not a cause? Is there not a matter that needs to be addressed here? One of the, over the years, as we, the church, have dealt with issues in our society, one of the things that some in the church have turned to is to turn to politics to try to reshape our culture, thinking perhaps we needed to get behind politicians who say they uphold our values. But I've been thinking about this for some time, and I've come to the conclusion that we actually have it backwards. I think the church should be the one taking the lead. The fabric of our lives should not be defined by our politics. I would like to see God be at the center of our lives. This is what Christianity is supposed to be all about. That everything we do that how we interpret everything is with God at the center. Let us not look to the secular world to provide the leadership that will define our culture. Let us define our culture. And let us define it around our core belief, having God at the center. The lens through which we interpret things, the lens through which we see things, the lens through which we decide whether or not we're going to get involved in things should all have God at the center of it. If it pleases God, if we can give glory to God in doing it, it's probably a good thing to do. If it demonstrates the love of God to someone else, the second is likened to the first. 
if it demonstrates the love of God to someone else, it's probably a good thing to do. But if it doesn't fall within one of those two classifications, either we are doing it to give glory to God or we're doing it to show God's love, we probably shouldn't be involved in it. If you can't say amen, just say ouch. God has an expectation for us. Those of us who call ourselves Christians. In his lifetime, Martin Luther King spoke my heart when he said the following words. The church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. That expresses my heart. I think for too long we've allowed others to use us for their personal gain and their personal benefit. I want to see the church. I'm talking about God's people when I say the church. I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm not talking about a building. We are the church. Those of us who claim to be Christians, we are the church. And I'm looking for the church to take the lead in creating the world that emulates what's in this book. If the world is going to have love, it's going to start in the church. If the world is going to have peace, it's going to come from the prayers of the church. The church needs to take the lead. The church needs to declare that we will reclaim this planet, this nation, this city, this neighborhood. For the God we serve. In Jesus' name. Hello, somebody. We have to assert ourselves. All the armies of Israel that were standing there for 40 days listening to Goliath and his big talk, they knew the God they served, but for whatever reason, they didn't take any action. We have to be careful not to be on the sidelines. We have to get engaged. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, which means false ideas can be contagious. We can't allow them to spread. The Christian community must stand for truth. We must stand for love. Is there not a cause? Something worthy of making us lay aside every weight and stepping in the breach and taking action, being a David and facing the Goliaths of our modern day. The Bible instructs us to do this. If you were not here last week and had a chance to hear our pastor, Dr. Reddy, 
one of the things he said last week is that we need to have more of him and less of me attitude. When he was talking last week about fulfilling God's mission, I didn't know that this was the scripture that God had given me. In Isaiah 1 and 17, the Bible says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. These are words of action. Huh? It's one thing to have knowledge about who God is. I mean, all the Israeli army that stood there for 40 days, they knew all about God and the God they serve and the God of Abraham and those, those stories and those scriptures of Old Testament time had been read to them throughout their whole life. And yet they were not taking action. They were letting Goliath go back and forth for 40 days talking big noise. And nobody was doing anything. Sometimes we don't respond to the challenges of our time because we're too comfortable. Hello, somebody. Sometimes the things that are happening in society that are bad may not be happening to us, and therefore we say, well, that's, that's not my fight. That's not my concern. That's not my battle. But I want you to understand that if one of us is oppressed, all of us are oppressed. Society is not free if one of us is not free. It only means you're free. The scripture says in Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease. Sounds like a good life. But did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. We know that there are sins of action, but I believe there are also sins of omission. Sometimes our inaction displeases God. He expects us to do right, to do good, to show love. And when we don't do it, we're outside of his will. He has an expectation that his people will do his commandments that the world will see what it's like to be a Christian, what it's like to experience God's love through all of us. Our actions demonstrate the truth of God's word. Do you not know that if David had not taken on Goliath, we might have a very different story in the Bible today. <laughs> we might have a story of how the Israeli army knew God, but that's the end of the story. They just knew him. They didn't do anything. Thanks to David's willingness to take action, we have a story of God getting victory. So it's one thing to walk around our modern society about who God is and what God is capable of and be happy about the knowledge that's between your ears. It's another to demonstrate the power of God, to demonstrate the love of God. And that's what God expects of his people. 
not simply to be knowledgeable and allow Goliath to go back and forth taunting us, his people, taunting his creation. But he wants us to actually take action. Some of us don't take action because we're too comfortable, but others may be like Eliab and the other soldiers. They were, the scripture says, they were afraid when Goliath came out. The, the challenge looked too great. The enemy looked too big. Second Timothy 1 and 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So the army had no reason to be afraid because the God they served did not give them that spirit of fear. The God they served gave them power. And the God we serve has given us power. I understand it looks somewhat dark in the world today. Everyone has lost faith in the institutions of our society. We don't believe the media anymore. We don't believe the FBI. We don't believe the politicians. We've, we've lost faith in what man has created, but we can still have faith in the one true God. God is not a man that he should lie. What's in his word is truth. And what I heard Pastor Reddy say last week is we got to put faith in action. We got to put faith in action. I um, was reading that passage I shared with you earlier from Martin Luther King and looking at some of the things that he was talking about in that sermon where he gave that particular passage and one of the scriptures he was talking about was a scripture some of you may know well when uh, the man goes to his friend's house looking for some loaves and he knocks on the door and the, and the, the person that lives at the house he's, uh, he's already asleep he's already in bed he said I'm already in bed with my children why are you bothering me at this time of night and as I think about that scripture I think about how many of us are preoccupied with other things, with, with other responsibilities, with other obligations, with other interests, and that when the needy come knocking on our door, we have a reason, we have an excuse, we have an alibi that allows us to say, come back later, or can't you bother somebody else, or I will when I get a chance. How many times, Pastor Reddy, have you invited somebody to church and they say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get there one day. We'll, we'll get there. I'm coming. Not this Sunday, but I'm coming. Are some of us who claim to be Christians the same way when it comes to the needs that surround us? God wants us to be active participants in this world. And the devil has twisted things. The devil has use cunning words and found ways to manipulate us. One of the things that 
we have to always be conscious of is the devil has no real power over us. What he actually does is try to get us not to use the power we have. So his, his, his power is really more in deception. It's to get you not to fight. It's to get you to lay down your arms. It's to get you to give up. But God has given us dominion. We have authority. The question is whether or not we're going to use it. And if so, for what? For what? We need a God-centered approach to how we interpret the world around us. When others are trying to convince us about what we should believe and what we should do, don't, don't use your secular wisdom to figure out whether they're right or wrong. Think about the God you serve. And think about what's being advocated, what's being pushed, what's being promulgated in your ears, in front of your eyes. Does it seem consistent to you with the word of God? Does it seem like that's a God-centered approach? Because everything that's not of faith is sin. Everything that's not of faith is sin. God put us here to glorify him. In Genesis 1, the creation story is told. God creates the trees. God creates the oceans. And one thing he says, he says, that's good. He creates the birds and the fish and the sea. And he says, that's good. Think about it for a minute. Doesn't it make sense to you that if God created something and he said it's good, doesn't it make sense to you that the devil might want to destroy that? Think about it. Think about it for a minute. Caring for God's creation is not political correctness. It's not environmental politics. It's caring for what God has given us dominion over. There's nothing wrong with using what God has given us. He gave it to us for, for our purpose. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So I'm not advocating that I want everybody to be vegetarians and don't eat meat and, you know, don't cut down trees, make your houses out of straw. That's not, that's not what I'm here to tell you. But I am here to tell you that the devil is talking to you. And you're not judging his words by the word of God. Too often we judge what we hear based on whether it's coming from red or blue what jersey the person has on. If they're wearing my color jersey, then I'm going to believe it. If they're not wearing my color jersey, then I'm not going to believe it. That's not God. That's not God. This is what God believes. This is what God wants. And the devil is using his cunning to try to convince you to see it another way. He's just like Goliath, insulting and saying the opposite things of what the Word of God says. 
trying to get you to hate, not love. Trying to get you to divide and not unite. There can be no greater unity scripture than the scriptures, no greater unity story than the scriptures themselves. The whole idea of Jews and Gentiles together in one church, phenomenal. You may not fully be able to appreciate it today because it's 2020, but read the book. Do you know how divided Jews and Gentiles were? The whole concept of them sitting together side by side and worshiping one God, that's ridiculous. That could never happen. And yet it did, and yet it does. I assure you their division was much greater than any division we've experienced here. And yet somehow, under the banner of God's love, they came together. And we can't? Given the minimal things that really divide us, we can't come together? No, we can't because we're not in the Word of God. Because the prism through which we see things is not His Word. That's why we can't come together. If we judged every message, if we judged every word, if we did every action to be in concert with His Word, we'd have unity. But the devil doesn't want us to be unified because where there's unity, there's strength. There's strength. And as long as he can keep us divided, he can keep walking back and forth, talking big noise, having no real power, but convincing you to stay on the sidelines because of his bluster, because of the noise because he gets some of us to look funny at others of us. And that division is where he sees his opportunity. And that division is where we don't fulfill what the Word of God tells us to fulfill. We have the capacity for victory. God has given us everything we need to take this world back for him. All we have to do is get unified in the faith. Clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. There are some who may have a heartfelt desire to support the word of God through action. But unfortunately, they are more cautious than courageous and more prone to follow the expedient rather than the ethical path. We have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. We have to step outside of what for us may be customary or normal or tradition. When David went to go fight Goliath, he didn't take the traditional weapons with him. He was offered Saul's sword. He was offered Saul's armor. He didn't take it. And when he went to go face Goliath, that was another reason for Goliath to mock him. What am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? And David told the truth again. He said, it's not about me, but it's about the God I represent. And my God will deliver victory. This is the stand God is looking for us to take, people of God. 
not one that looks at our capability, our experience, our skills, but one that looks to the hills from which comes our strength. Because we know all of our help comes from the Lord. David's brother Eliab felt the risk wasn't worth it. He didn't face the challenge that Goliath threw down. He decided instead to be mad at David because David told the truth. Now, his baby brother, he didn't mind talking big noise to him, but he didn't have nothing to say to Goliath. Let's not be spiritual cowards. Let's not be spiritual cowards. Let's take the battle to the devil. The victory is already ours. We just have to walk in it. One of the reasons I don't think David was afraid was because he already knew he was going to win. Why would you be afraid if you knew you were going to win? The world around us is hurting. The world around us needs what God has to offer. And the devil is trying to discourage you from delivering the love that you have to give. The devil is trying to discourage you from showing the love of Christ. And so that hurting person continues to hurt because you haven't thrown your arms around them and said, God loves you and so do I. Oh, you got your reasons, just like Eliab had his reasons for not facing Goliath. You got your excuses. You got your, it's not time yet. You got all the reasons in the world not to do it. And in the meantime, the devil is declaring victory. The devil is saying, see, God, you may have written some pretty things in your word, but I got this. I got your people discouraged. I got them despondent. I got them sidelined. I got them angry. I got them divided. The Goliath of our day is talking big noise, and it's time for the people of God to put him in check. It's time for us to do what God has called us to do. He didn't tell us just to love our family. He said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. We ought to make up our mind that we're going to be obedient to the Word of God. My wife and I heard last week or two weeks ago about a young man who committed suicide here in the city of Austin, and I believe he was in his 20s, and you know, I don't know all the circumstances of his situation of why he did what he did, but my wife and I were just talking about how you just don't know sometimes what people are going through. You don't, you can't see beyond the facade that they allow you to see, and so you don't really know who may be hurting or who may really need a word from God. This is a young man with, with prominent parents. Both of his parents are Ivy League educated, well-to-do financially, and yet whatever was going on with this young man, he felt like there was no point in living one more day. 
he had, in his estimation, no hope. The church should be a place where people know they can find hope. And again, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the church life that we live in front of those who have no hope. Because if we live our life with hope, others will see, well, why, why are they not as despondent as I am? Why are they not as upset? Why are they not as depressed? Why are they not as angry? What is it they got? that allows them in the midst of this confusion, in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of financial ruin, why are they on the brink of suicide? And you can tell them, it's not about me. It's about the God I serve. But you can't share that story if you're not willing to get engaged. You can't be that light if you're, like Pastor Reddy said last week, hiding it under a bushel. God called us to be the salt of the earth. We're supposed to make a difference. Is there not a cause? We're not supposed to be on the sidelines watching. We're not supposed to allow the devil to go back and forth talking big noise for 40 days and we not do anything about it. We're supposed to take a stand. God has given us dominion. It's up to us to exercise the dominion that he's given us. As people begin to have doubts about so many institutions, as they begin to lose faith in church, to believe in church, people must believe that, that God is good and that God is just. And the only way they can believe that is through God's people. If they see that God's people are good, if they see that God's people are just, then they'll believe that the church is good and that the church is just. But they have no reason to believe that if all the so-called Christians are not good, are not just, are not concerned, why would they believe they could find help at the church? They got Christians living in their neighborhood who don't care. They got Christians working with them on the job who don't care. They got Christians in their classroom with them who don't care. The Bible says, with love and kindness have I drawn thee. If we want to draw people to God, we got to do it with love and with kindness. Some of us have known the Word of God for a long time. But we shouldn't be using the Word of God to beat up on people. Have you heard that saying that people don't care what you say until they know that you care? You may have a lot of knowledge about who God is and what God is capable of. But you go try to share that knowledge with somebody that was hurting, and their pain might not allow them to hear you. But if you address that pain, if you show that you care, if you show the love of God, 
maybe then they'll be more inclined to listen to what you have to say because they know you care about them. Not that you care about forcing your great ideas down their throat. Not that you're so superior and so wise and so knowledgeable and you want to bring them up from this lowly state where they are and bring them up to your level. Hello, somebody. But that you care, that you love. This is who God is. This is what it means to live a God-centered life. That the lens we choose to see the world through is through the lens of God, through the love of God, through the compassion of God, using the power of God. Clap your hands and tell the Lord thank you. Stand for something or you're a fall for anything. Do what's right, people of God. Withstand the mockery. Don't be discouraged. Is there not a cause worthy of your attention? The only thing it takes for tyranny to prevail is for good men to do nothing. This is what these so-called warriors were doing as Goliath was walking back and forth for 40 days. They were doing nothing. Their fear had paralyzed them. And we too should feel paralyzed if we're depending on ourselves to win this spiritual battle. Your natural weapons can't win it. You think you have great powers of persuasion your intelligence, your degrees, your resume, they're not the answer because this is a spiritual war. David acknowledged God every step of the way. I want to encourage the people of God to know what you're fighting for, to know whom you're fighting for, to give him the glory. To give him the glory. As David went out on the battlefield all by himself to face Goliath, in verse 47, he said these words. He said, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And he, speaking to Goliath, and he will give you into our hands. I know the challenge seems great when we look at our society today. I know we seem so divided that it seems like we're on the brink of civil war, but the battle is not ours. It's the Lord's. And what's impossible with man is possible with God. I want to encourage you today, church, meet the challenge. Meet the challenge in the valley of your lives. Don't let Goliath walk back and forth talking big noise about what he's doing in this place, your place, your lives, your culture, your city, your country, your neighborhood. Don't let Goliath have the victory. Stand. 
do what David did. Stand in the name of the one living, true God. Let us pray. Father God, we're so grateful to you today. We're grateful for your word that you've sent to us today, God. A reminder of the power and dominion that you've given us. A reminder that the battle is not ours, but it's yours, dear God. A reminder that you've called us to action, not to observation. Let us rise to the occasion. Let us respond to your call. Let us get the commendation that David got, Lord, that our heart beats to your heart, that we're obedient to your word. Help us to be willing to lay aside every sin and weight that does so easily beset us and help us to run this race in the name of Jesus Christ with power, with perseverance, Lord. We declare and decree in Jesus' name that it is so right now. Amen and amen. This altar is open. We've made arrangements for prayer by social distance. So if you have a need, if you want to have the elders of the church pray with you today, we've got spots designated up here in front that you can come and someone will stand behind you and will pray with you and pray for you to address the need that you have, to address the petition that you may have up to the Lord. We want to join with you by faith and believe that God's going to show up and show out in the valley of your life. God bless you.